Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Hello, welcome to the Longform Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Ah, good morning. <laughs> Aaron's had a tough weekend. I'm on. I'm in a lot of back pain. I'm sorry, man. You look good sitting up. You seem like uh, maybe it's better than lying down on the floor. Uh, if you want to support the show, send your painkillers. <laughs> 68 J Street. Max, who did you who did you talk to? This week? I talked to uh, Tavi Gevinson. I talked to Tavi Gevinson. She's the founding editor of Rookie Magazine. Uh, which is a really, really good magazine. Yeah, it's ostensibly for um, uh, young women, but it's not really. It's yeah, for, it's, it's for it's for it's all. Like, yeah, it's like a advice for young women that is also just generally life advice. Yeah, not just. I mean, it's they produce a really staggering amount of stuff. I mean, I've been following them uh, in our new app, and and they're like uh, they're consistently like every day putting out something really good. Yeah, well, she was uh, she was pretty impressive. I came away. Uh, she was just great. It was really fun to talk to her, and she is definitely going to end up running the world. Evan, who's our sponsor? Our first sponsor this week is Atavis Books. So if you are a listener to this podcast, you are probably familiar with uh, The Atavist, where we put out uh, one piece of long-form nonfiction every month. And this week marks the launch of Atavis Books, which isn't, strictly speaking, us. It's actually a partnership that we have. Uh, that's Different be- office, same ethos. Exactly. And it's going to be producing... Uh, full-length books, nonfiction fiction, also novellas and shorter nonfiction uh, in there with it. And the first title is Karen Russell's uh, Sleep Donation. Karen Russell is a wonderful novelist and also winner of a MacArthur Genius Grant. And this novella is really fun. Uh, and it's at atavis.com. It's three ninety nine. Sounds like a coup. Yeah, for sure. Karen Russell. If you're looking to start an email newsletter, there's simply no better way to do it than with Tiny Letter. It's a simple, efficient, powerful way to reach the people that you need to stay in contact with. I subscribe to lots of them. Maybe you want to start one. If you do, send me an email and I'll pick it up. Uh, here is Max and Toby. Well, hey, Toby Gevinson. Hi. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming to Dumbo. Thank you for having me. So uh, so nice to have you. You're, I'm really excited. You are uh, like one day into your spring break. Mm-hmm. Has it been crazy? Um, not really. I well, my dad and I came to New York last night, and actually, all, a bunch of rookie staffers, like twenty of us, got together at um, one of our writers' apartments, and um, that was pretty crazy. Like yes. lots of neighborly complaints because we were like dancing to Beyonce. Um, <laughs> you guys got the cops called on you? No, no cops, but like, you live in New York. Like, people are loud. It's a thing. Yeah, you got a deal. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty wild. 
Good. Well, I'm glad you're like getting a taste of, of wild spring break. Are you yeah. also like, uh, are you here for meetings? Are you mm-hmm. conducting business? Yeah, meetings. Uh, like we, our next book will be with Razorbill, which is an imprint of Penguin. Yeah, so, you just signed a deal, right? Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. That's exciting. Yeah, three I'm really and four. excited. Three and four, yearbooks three and four. I spent a lot of time with yearbook two this weekend. Yeah? I had a, I had a good time. We were going to talk about it. I got a lot of questions about yearbook two. Oh, I'm really excited. Yearbook, yearbook two made me uh, feel all kinds of feelings that I want to talk to you about. Oh, great. Uh, but here's what I want to start with. So uh, we usually like you know, start these things and ask people like how they got their start and all that stuff. But, you know, your uh, version of that story is maybe more well-documented than other people we've had on. Uh, But there is a thing that is unique about you, which is that uh, we've had a bunch of people on who write New Yorker profiles, Mm -hmm. uh, but we have not actually had anyone who has been profiled by the New Yorker. Ah. So... My question is, what is it like to be profiled by the New Yorker? (laughs) Yeah, so we should say this this is 2010. Yeah, so I was uh, 13, 14 when Lizzie Whittacombe started writing it. Uh, So I was in second semester of eighth grade and then had just started high school when it came out. And um, it was weird because, first of all, it was the one time I ever let a journalist come to my school, which thinking back, I'm like, why did I do that? But I think I was also like... I want her to get, you know, an accurate picture of it. I think I was tired of the assumption that, like, I lived in a giant house with a walk-in closet and I was really popular at school. So I was like, well, let her see that (laughs) I'm, like, the really uh, kind of Debbie Downer student who's like, shut up. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I guess she came to my school, which was... It was this weird thing where, like, I didn't want to draw attention to myself, but I also had this weird, like bullied kid thing of like well i'll show you all that like this fancy lady cares about what i have to say this woman's from the new yorker magazine yeah right doesn't that mean anything to you people (laughs) so um so it was weird and then uh she like hung out with me and my friends and saw my room which was uh which looked like a landfill and i remember when it came out like this was at a time where even though i wrote a blog every day and spoke for myself all the time I felt like a lot of the time when I was written about it was very like people came into it knowing the story they already wanted to write yeah like I I mean I spent a while reading a bunch of stuff this weekend and like every story basically is like uh, here's this person she's like here are a bunch of like uh, commonly associated traits of an adult Mm -hmm. get this she's She's 16 yeah 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 yeah. oh yeah and she does homework yeah yeah wild right and i guess so when it came out i was just like oh at least like finally something that is in depth but i also remember feeling like it had been written as though i was like just kind of the prime example of this kind of weird thing that was happening in fashion where bloggers were becoming an authority And I remember, I mean, maybe this was just my own, like, you can't put me in a box, but I remember feeling like, but it's so much more than that. And probably because by that point, I had already, like, I discovered Riot Girl and was writing about it and writing about feminism. And uh, I felt like it was more in depth than what I was used to. And I was really happy about that and happy that she had just kind of, you know, I think most people have had the idea of, like, a 13-year-old with a fashion blog and, like, a very elaborate closet seems like a very annoying person. And I'm sure I was, but for different reasons. <laughs> and so I was just glad that 
she was saying, like, her style's actually kind of creepy and she's not trying to look cute and she's interested in these designers and not just in labels and whatever. So, and I think I actually emailed her and I was like, thank you, because no one else has gotten it. But then when I looked at it more recently, I was like, I don't know. But it's also, it's really hard to know what you are like on the outside to other people. So who knows yeah, what's I mean, the truth man right totally yeah you look at it and you don't you don't uh, you don't know that person it's interesting that you go back and go back and reread it is that like a thing that I don't you... know why I did that I feel like it must have been it was maybe like last year it must have been like 3am yeah was there like something in particular you were thinking about in that article or were you like what was I like four years ago it wouldn't have been like what was I like but it would have been just kind of was this as cathartic as I remember it <laughs> right. feeling did you yeah. have a really good idea of what, like, what being profiled by the New Yorker was going to entail? I mean, it was exciting to me because, like, growing up, I'm still growing up, but, you know, growing up as a child, like, my dad submitted to the caption contest every week. So I was just like, whoa, full circle. This is awesome. Right. And I was aware that it wouldn't be, obviously, uh, entirely positive. And I kind of, the kind of criticisms or... You know, some people think this, however, I was expecting those. Mm -hmm. um, do you do anything but, in that case to like uh, mitigate those a little bit? Like, were, were, like mm, were you aggressive about like counter programming that section of the thing? No, I mean, at that time I was not, not that I'm like particularly savvy now, but I am more able to predict what I think someone's that's kind of what to. I'm asking is like hmm. you know did you like I feel like there's sometimes you read profiles in the New Yorker in particular but in general and like you get the clear sense that like the subject knows what the deal is and I'm right. trying to figure out uh, I wonder whether you feel like you did I think I now that you put it that way I think I did because at that point like I had I had not yet decided to stop reading things about me so I was very aware of what the general takes were. So that's a decision you've now made? You don't read this stuff anymore? No. I mean, if there's a piece where I'm, like, kind of curious as to how it turned out because something was up with the writer or whatever, I will. But it's like if you listen to all the positive stuff, you also have to listen to, like, I feel like I have to listen to all the negative stuff and then you you kind of, like, lose yourself in there. And there, I'm not saying all of it is completely irrelevant. It's not. But... There are just so many degrees of separation between, like, what I think, what I say or write, what I end up actually publishing, what people see, how they interpret it, what they'll go on to write, what their editor will, you know, like, yeah. I, and it's not, and I don't say that in a way where, like, I'm being wronged all the time. That's just the nature of, like, communication. Right. But um, that's why I just can't necessarily take it all right well, I mean, very you, personally whether it's positive or negative yeah there's also just like a uh like a energy resource question right it's like if yeah. you're going to do all that translation that's like actual time that's like yeah. that's like going to take time to process and i'm also not i have to live with myself every day of my life i'm not super interested in like reading about myself <laughs> so um it's i mean i think at times when i do like, I don't know what state I was in when I was like, I'm going to go back and read a New Yorker profile from when I was 13. But I think it's always in a time of maybe like vulnerability or uh, a kind of curiosity that I wish I didn't have or um, that kind of thing. But I mostly just felt like the piece. But I also I like that you can read this thing about me from just a few years ago. And it's like 
completely to me it feels completely different right um that's exciting to me like who you are feel different or what the yeah. goals may be right well if someone if she were to write that profile now it would be completely it would be about rookie and right. acting and different things and um it's interesting yeah. too there's like i mean if you haven't read this stuff i can fill you in because i just read a bunch of it mm-hmm. uh a thing that is in that article and a bunch of the kind of early stuff about you that's not in the later stuff is, uh, for lack of a better word, there's like kind of like a hater section. Yeah, yeah, you for know? sure. There's like a section of it that's like, some say it's a hoax. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, that seems like that's gone away. There's not, there's right. no longer the like, a bunch of people hate this shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think if that profile were written now, the kind of counter hater part would not be like this fashion editor however isn't buying it it would be like but some teenage girls don't feel this way and i feel <laughs> right. like that's a lot more interesting and something yeah. that as a reader i would find a lot more interesting well let's talk about that moment a little bit where you know where you did make that shift where your interests uh expanded a little bit and you started mm-hmm. thinking about uh not just doing your own thing but starting a magazine mm-hmm. how, how did that come about well like i said When Lizzie started writing it, I was getting interested in feminism and Riot Girl, and I had discovered Sassy Magazine. That's another thing is like she she sat next to me as I sat on the computer writing a blog post, which was not her idea of a setup because that would seem kind of weird. Like, well, let's see if you really can write. But I think I was she was just like, so what do you do after school? And I was like, well, I'll do it right now. And that was actually the first blog post I wrote that was like hey, we need a magazine for teen girls. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, I like I mentioned that I had a kind of weird complex with my peers in middle school of like, well, the New Yorker cares about me. And I think in middle school fashion, going to fashion week, getting to fly to like Paris or Tokyo to interview my favorite designers was a, a really nice place of refuge from middle school because... Um, I just liked having this weird secret of, like, I could go to school and be bullied for what I was wearing, but then, like, all of these people I respected thought it was cool. And then once I got to high school and my interests were shifting, like, I liked high school. I'm almost graduated. I liked high school. And I found friends and a community and, like, started doing plays. And uh, I no longer felt like I needed this other world. And my interests were just kind of organically changing. And... It just wasn't inspiring to me in the same way anymore. Like it wasn't like when you look at fashion photography, there's like such a self-awareness. And I think I was just craving something that could be much more not naive, but um, like I remember writing about it on my blog and I said like, you know, girls at my school are more inspiring to me now than what I would see in pages of a magazine or Mm -hmm. something like that. And it was true. It was just like, I think anyone who uh, achieves, not achieves, but like receives uh, some kind of like a level of attention at a young age eventually starts searching for some kind of purity. <laughs> right. And like, like it's just, I mean, Miley Cyrus is doing it right now. Yeah. Like it, it just in some way or another, it's just a thing. Um, so I think part of that to me was like I was starting high school, learning about feminism, felt confused about being a girl, liked Sassy Magazine, felt weird about the fashion world, um, 
thought being a teenager was really interesting and had a lot of thoughts about it. And also just kind of had that really blind, youthful confidence of like, yeah, why can't I start my own magazine? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is like, it, it, I, confidence is what I was going to ask you about. Mm-hmm. I mean, could you sort of feel that growing? Were you, when you started that blog, were you like, how did your confidence evolve? How's that happen? How do you, like, what are the, uh, what are the things that bring it on? Well, first of all, I think like anyone who is creative has to be a bit of a narcissist or to share it because you're saying like what I have to say is interesting and you should be interested in it. And I don't think it's like a bad kind of narcissism. I think it's necessary because if we were, if we didn't have that, like no one would share anything. Right. And I think that to get stuff done, you have to have that. Like my friend Kate, she never like wanted to be a fashion designer, but when she was in high school, she has this story about how she like, she never went to class because she was like a huge slacker. (laughs) And so one day, like she finally went to class she looked over and some girl had a magazine and Kate Moss was on the cover and she was like, yeah, I could probably be a model. And then she like looked over at the bulletin board and it was like all the like Pulitzer Prize winners. And she was like, I could probably win one of those. <laughs> and then she just like got bored of the class and walked out. And I feel like you kind of just have to have that. I think I just always, it was almost unhealthy, like really trusted my own opinion way more than other people's. And I think... It's maybe good to, you know, at age 12 or whatever, feel that really extremely and then let it level out as you become a real person. You've gotten a little bit more interested in other people's tastes. Yeah. (laughs) But at the time, I was just really like angry at everything and rebellious. And so if people didn't like my outfit or if like a journalist thought I was a phony I was just kind of like, well, all the haters are my motivators. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, at times I'm, of course, like really loathing of the part of me that can be that confident just because it can um, get in the way of like being rational or, you know. Yeah, but I mean, the other side of the the, like that coin is like uh, or like somewhat irrational ambition. You know, it's like you can't yeah. you can't do anything on like a really large scale if you're not like kind of self deceivingly ambitious. Yeah, no, you have to be kind of a megalomaniac, <laughs> and I think as long as you are able to like be realistic about it, like when I sit down to write, I feel like writing is like a little bit of vomiting and then mostly editing. Like I just sit down and try to get it all out, and the first draft is just you know vomit. And then so much of it is just editing. And I think, like, when I talk to rookie readers who have questions about writing, that's, like, one thing I really uh, want them to understand because I think people feel discouraged because they don't like their first draft or whatever. But, like, so much of it is editing. It's important to be – to have that, like, blind confidence during the vomiting part. Mm -hmm. And then during the editing, go back and be more realistic and be like, okay, like, I have to color it in, connect the dots – will people be able to read my mind no this has to be more clear or this is too much and this is too apologetic and stuff like that hey it's max gonna pause things for just a second tell you a little bit about our sponsor this week the brand new atavis books just launched and uh their first book is by karen russell you know Karen Russell. She wrote Swamplandia. Um, you might also know her. She wrote this incredible piece for GQ in 2012 about a one-eyed matador. Uh, it's, it was like on our best of the year list. It's great. Anyway, she's back. 
new book. It's actually a novella. It's called Sleep Donation, and it's only available as an ebook. Um, the story explores a world suffering this insomnia epidemic, and it introduces you to the Slumber Corps, which is an organization that's like urging uh, healthy dreamers to donate their sleep to insomniacs. It's a totally crazy, creepy, great story. Uh, it's already gotten a bunch of praise. Slate said it's signature Russell, and they declared her, yes, a genius. Um, Amazon named it a book of the month. New Yorker said it's a book to watch out for. Uh, go read it now. Sleep Donation. It's three ninety nine at atavis.com. It's three ninety nine atavis.com. You can get it there. You can get it at your ebook retailer of choice, but really do go read it. It's fantastic. Uh, let's get back to Tavi. When you were first doing the blog, like I'm interested in in both the ambition of like the the early blog and whether it was like really important to you that it mm-hmm. get read by a ton of people. Oh, and also, were you like actually actively editing your writing when you were you know just starting up? It didn't occur to me that a lot of people would read it because when I started my blog, um, the only people who read fashion blogs were other fashion bloggers, and it was just like this community of um, young women and teenagers and um i wanted to be a part of that but once the attention did come in it i was surprised at my own reaction probably because like when you're little everyone is like i want to be a movie star like that's just what everyone i mean maybe not but i feel like when you're little that just seems like the coolest thing and then once i was actually like 12 and this stuff started happening Obviously, it wasn't the same as being a movie star, but it just made me feel really like watched yeah. and uncomfortable. And again, I felt like a lot of it didn't wasn't really understanding of what I was doing. And it was just weird. It's weird to have memories of like being 12 and staring at a computer and reading about myself, <laughs> yeah. like something that like a, an adult wrote. Right. That's like kind of snarky. Like that's weird. <laughs> and so for me, it was not it was nice to feel like I found a community and like some of those people would comment for years and years and I like still am in touch with them now and then but then there was this other side of it where I I just felt like these people had kind of like were looking at it under a microscope and they weren't part of this world and they weren't really invited but they were trying to report back to like you know the readers of the guardian or whatever (laughs) on what was actually going on and it made me uncomfortable so like you seem particularly thoughtful and interested in evolution and how anyone evolves as a person. And reading your stuff, you, you, you know, you end up thinking about yourself and all these things, and that's what, part of why what you do is successful. I think is like a very relatable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you think knowing people were watching affected your evolution? Like, like mm-hmm. you know, knowing that you were under a microscope, knowing that there were uh, adults from the Guardian or whatever, <laughs> you know, paying attention. How does that affect how you evolve? How does that affect how you get from uh, there to here? Um, I think I would try at times to be more just to make jokes that were less weird or seem less maybe precocious or um, like probably internalized some of those criticisms from like adults on the comment section of The Guardian. But then every time I did, I think I had, you know, like those faithful readers who were like, what are you doing? You were fine. And um, I think it's also, you know, you realize that you can't please everyone. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about Rookie. Okay. I, 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 uh, it's really great. It's like it's Thank it, you. It, what you're doing is great. How is uh, how's being a boss? <laughs> it's cool. I don't fully feel like a boss. I mean, I feel like a boss overall in my life, but 
like I work with Anahid, our editorial director, and then Lauren, who's our business or our managing editor. Well, maybe I'm just saying this because I had meetings with them today and it just felt very, it just feels very collaborative and not the idea I have of a boss, which is like standing at the end of a conference table like wolf of wall street style (laughs) and like firing people and pointing left and right well it's true that you don't have like a lot of uh, personal experience with bosses yeah i mean it yeah i don't i mean i've teachers and parents have been like the boss figures in my life yeah bosses Um, and boss figures are very different in my experience it's true no it's true i guess i i like it because i like knowing that i'm in control and that's one reason why you know, we almost went with this publisher that like online publishers, um, and then we decided to be independent and yeah. How, what happened there? How that happened? Um, well, Anahid's husband Ira Glass, who runs this American Life, he started this American Life like without a lawyer. Like he went through all the contracts himself, all of this. So he was really adamant about making sure we understood what was going on, and so he would like look at the contracts with the these publishers who wanted to publish rookie and get on the phone with them and kind of yell at them and be like like you're trying to take advantage of this young woman blah blah so um and he sat me down at one point and was like so you have to understand like you won't be normal now because other kids will be able to hang out after school and you'll have to like come home and work and i felt like well first of all i did that anyways. That's what I like to do. Like I had my blog and I would probably come home anyways. And in reality, like I am able to hang out with friends and (laughs) it's fine. But I also felt like it would be easier to just get stuff done if I could just do it like me and Anahid and a few other people instead of having to go through all the channels. Mm -hmm. Like it seemed like being with a publisher, they act like it would take care of so much for you. Right. But it actually seems like we just end up explaining ourselves over and over again and um in the beginning it was appealing to me that i could just like go into wordpress and change something myself and and like the logistics like what ira would get angry about like money stuff and um i just wanted the whole thing to be mine and to not to not have to answer to anyone besides our readers do you have any regrets about that decision no i mean not now when all when rookie was still new I would think every day about how glad I was that we're independent. And I still yeah. am, but especially at that time, I was just like, oh, man, thank God. It's interesting, though. I mean, it's like, because it feels to me like there's a connection between Rookie and, say, like 538 or Grantland or Vox, mm-hmm. these, like, sites that are built around one person but have brought in a bunch of people to sure. sort of support that vision and kind of that tone and mm-hmm. that mission. Um there are some real similarities, except all of those have these kind of like backing of these large media organizations. Right. But also you kind of did it first a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Wait, when did Grantland start? I don't know. Grantland was like, I want to say like summer of 2011. Okay. We were fall of 2011. Yeah. Right. But, um, but you were like, you had announced it way earlier. So I'm giving yeah, you. Yeah. Grantland. Yeah. Um, take that. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. I mean, one goal for me, like, I'm aware that my story is catchy and helps bring in a lot of eyeballs, but the goal is to get to a place where Rookie is not necessarily synonymous with my name, and 
I'm always happy when we have readers who like aren't fully aware of the person who's behind it or they just stumbled upon it and found it and related to it. And how um, do you do that dance? Like, how do you both like uh, take advantage of the catchiness and <laughs> stay away from the catchiness? Um, I guess because I take advantage of it when it's something like like I'll promote our book on late night TV and I'm aware that it's interesting to see like a teenage girl palling around with Jimmy Fallon um but I don't I try to avoid the flip side of that by being too like self-promoting on Twitter you know like when and I also try to give credit where credit is due as often as possible which is like you know Anahid has been such a big part of this from the beginning we have a staff of like 90 writers and photographers and illustrators and they put so much of themselves into what they create for the site we have really amazing readers who really keep us in check and let us know what they want to see and make up so much of the community and they're why girls feel comfortable saying in our comments section like I'm really depressed right now I'm suicidal and I need help and then everyone jumps in and supports them and um I guess I am happy to draw in the attention from like people who haven't heard who wouldn't maybe come across rookie online but will like watch a late night tv show uh I'm happy to like catch their attention right and then show them all these other people who are doing amazing things how has that evolved I mean how, how has rookie evolved since you started in whatever that was fall of 2011 oh wow well I mean just today we had meetings like with Anahid and Lauren and then um people about like a website redesign and trying to think about it in bigger terms of like you guys should kill pagination <laughs> it's my one vote for really your, for your website yeah okay yeah. why oh, no one likes that no one's no one's like really? excited to hit page two i don't think okay that's a good point well also i want to do that like pretty scroll thing yeah pretty they do on like faster louder and stuff yeah pretty scrolling is cool that's fine yeah but I, the pagination is the only thing i feel really strongly about okay yeah, I mean, our site design right now is just not built for the amount of content we have. Yeah. It's kind of like scotch tape and cardboard and because our website was built in three weeks. And so it's just not very accommodating to now the amount of, like, all of the archived stuff. It's it's a, a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it's evolved. When the idea first came to me, like, when I sat there next to Lizzie and she, like, watched me write this blog post... Um, I think it was, I was like obsessed with this John Waters quote where in an interview with Rush magazine where he's like, there used to be beatniks and then hippies and then punks and then this and that and now there's nothing so go find it. And I was like, yeah, we need to find it. And then I just, I mean, I lost some of my middle school inferiority outsider complex. I also started to really like a lot of pop music and just kind of got over myself <laughs> and realized like oh a counterculture comes out of people who don't identify with a mainstream culture isn't it better if we can change the mainstream culture or blur the lines more and take advantage of the ways in which uh you know being online allows you to do that since like when people now talk about like representations of teen girls like I get asked so much because I gave a TED talk kind of about this I get asked a lot like do you feel like you see teen girls well represented in movies and TV? 
And no, but I also don't think it's maybe as important as it used to be because now people turn to so many other places for the media they take in and the culture they take in. So I guess one difference that's been very instructive is that in the beginning I was like, yeah, I'm going to like round up all these cool girls I follow on Tumblr and we're going to start a revolution. And then I was like, why don't we just make stuff that's good and that is accessible and that doesn't make people feel like they can't be part of our clubhouse? And yeah, and I think that's a lot nicer. <laughs> Do you think that the uh, clubhouse extends beyond teenage girls? Yeah, I hear a lot from women in like their 20s and 30s. I like it because it's never like it brings me back to the it lets me relive the glory of high school. It's yeah. more like this is stuff I still deal with. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff in there is not really like teen advice. It's like life advice. Yeah. It relates if you're like uh, willing to go there, I think. For sure. And I think, it. I mean, it's not like you, I mean, it isn't so much of the current film and, you know, there's Lena Dunn. It was so much about being in your 20s is about feeling the way that I think <laughs> right. teenagers feel. So I just don't think you get to a point in your life where, like, you're done growing or whatever. And I also think that if we try to think too much about getting through to the teens, then you just start to feel like a cheesy person at the head of a conference room table where you're like, prom, cell phones, go. Like, <laughs> And it's just not that stuff is relevant, but it's I feel like the best thing I've done in high school and this is what I say whenever people are just generally like at a Q&A or something like, what advice do you, what general advice do you have to give to other teenagers? It's just that the best thing I've done in high school has been to like build up my toolbox of movies and books and uh, music and stuff that I, and friends and writers and stuff that I go to, just stuff that really feels like it's formed who I am and the stuff that you go to is a kind of like a safety blanket. And I guess with Rookie, the goal is not necessarily to be like, well, what's re- like twerking, selfies, what are the relevant issues in today's teens? It's just like... You guys don't have meetings where you're just like, we need to do something on twerking. <laughs> no, we don't. But yeah, no, it's more just like, well, what would I like to hear from someone else or for adult writers? Like, what would I like to have been told? And like, what would have been a good tool for me to have in my toolbox when I was younger? Can I tell you something I was really uh, struck by? Like reading, we've, um, we've got the yearbook too sitting between us. And uh, something I was really struck by my experience of high school was a lot of like um, uh, defining people, defining themselves by other people. Uh Right. In pretty negative ways. So Hmm. I am not that. Right. Right. And the site, the yearbook, it's completely absent of that. It feels really absent of at least we're not those fucking guys over there. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how conscious that is. Um, I mean, I have an idea of what I don't want it to be and how I don't want it to feel like like I hate that kind of like. Liz Lemon, and this isn't a criticism of the show because 30 Rock knows that this is what Liz Lemon is, but I hate the kind of Liz Lemon feminism of like, well, we're smart girls and those are dumb girls. And I like definitely didn't want Rookie to be something that made someone feel like they were a dumb girl or they were a smart girl or uh, they weren't cool enough or anything like that. If anything, I just want our readers to know that they are already 
smart enough and cool enough. Anything they're worried about, like, it's fine. You're fine. <laughs> and That's like the slogan for the magazine. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I really like the way you put it, and I never thought about it. I never, like, followed that thought enough to get there. But I think it's very true that it can be uh, just instinct for people my age to define ourselves by others in a bad way. And I you know, obviously not everything is for everyone, but right. I don't want someone to read it and feel like they're being called out in a shameful way on account of something stupid like, uh, you know, the kinds of girls who listen to this music, right? which is just stupid and feels outdated. And it just is like such a 90s binary. I mean, it's like why Sassy was appealing to me in eighth grade, but why like the day Rookie launched, I put all of my copies of Sassy in a box and put them in the basement. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely felt like I've been on both sides of that because fashion has a bad rap. And so I felt a little like I was constantly trying to prove that I was smart or like interested in things besides fashion or like not a completely shallow person. And then I realized that like me doing that was the same as the way I would kind of give stink eye to girls in my grade who were like tall and blonde and pretty and popular. And I just assumed that they were dumb or not compassionate or something. And I think like I made a zine sophomore year because that I, I think I only made like, I don't even think I have the original, but I just, I think I just gave it to like two friends and actually, speaking of Grantland, it includes like an email exchange with Molly Lambert where we were talking about this and feeling like you have your that girl where it's like it could be someone you know, it could be like a celebrity, pretty girls wish they were smart and smart girls wish they were pretty. So you're either like the Liz Lemony nerd and you wish you were pretty and you know you're not so you lash out at those other girls and call them dumb. Or you're the pretty girl and you are tired of, like, people assuming you're dumb or only wanting to be your friend because they're pretty. And so you wish you were more smart and more interesting. And it's like, like, I would hang out with a friend who was an actress and we would be in a situation where, like, I would feel like, oh, I wish I was more the, like, young ingenue. <laughs> but then someone would be able to talk to me about music, and she would seem kind of like, I wish I was able to talk about culture. But then it would be the opposite. Like, if I'm with a friend from school, and then, like, I'm the young ingenue, like, interesting person, and she felt like the Liz Lemon. I just didn't want any of that feeling in yeah. Rookie. Because it's totally arbitrary. Because, like I said, like, it's, you can be the pretty girl next to one friend and the smart girl next to another but it's also just unhealthy like I guess another way that we try to not do the thing of like defining yourself by other people is we just really want our readers to like what they like right and not necessarily go by like what's okay to like what do people who are like me find appealing about this kind of music or book or whatever yeah I mean so. the pseudo slogan can't be uh you're okay, like parentheses, <laughs> except for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is more like living in public and growing up in public stuff, but mm -hmm. uh, it's not an experience I have, so I'm pretty interested in it. I wonder, like, when you are writing so much and so publicly and you know a bunch of people are going to read it, uh, well, what do you keep for yourself? Like, what mm -hmm. what what's what stays private? What Like, right. what part of you don't 
people know about? I started keeping a diary the summer we started working on Rookie, and I would like do it very sporadically um, in like eighth grade and ninth grade, but usually about the stuff that was going on outside of school because it was really special and I wanted to save it. And then once Rookie started and I was kind of done with my blog, I felt the opposite thing, like everything I recorded. I don't know, like one of my journals from sophomore year, I'll be like, this morning mom made this for breakfast. Then I went to school. Like, Mr. Montagno said this in driver's ed. I had lunch with so-and-so. I walked home listening to this song. I, like, lay in my bed and did this. Then I went to New York for Fashion Week. Then today, I so I like became I had the opposite reaction of um, what before I really like was trying to save all of that stuff. And then I somehow it just became really like crucial to me to make sure that I had these experiences as a teenager in the suburbs of Chicago. And like I said, like in middle school, I wasn't really into school and being a part of my community and then in high school, I like found my people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I keep a diary pretty faithfully now and have for a couple years well i think it was like george saunders's interview with you guys did you do that one yeah i did that one (laughs) it was really good you had asked about like the morals in his stories Mm -hmm. and if they were like what he believes and he was like well the more comfortable i've become with myself the smaller the gap has gotten between my beliefs and then the beliefs that are in my writing or something like yeah, that yeah we were talking about the gap between like um the way you live your life and the values you espouse and how that gap translates to your work basically right how so, are you doing on that <laughs> okay i i do think that's like informed a lot of how i dress nowadays because when i was really into fashion i wore like a lot of crazy stuff and now I thought I was being not original, but I thought this was like a personal epiphany. But now I found out it's a new wave of dressing called normcore. <laughs> I feel like uh, <laughs> just to keep in line with every piece that's ever been written about you, I should be like, Tavi is wearing a blue V-neck sweater. Yeah, right. <laughs> she picks at her salad. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyways. Well, the Saunders thing, tangent, but it just reminded me of like how I feel about how I dress now. Because some people who have like who you know started reading my blog when I was like 12 will say now like your style's become much more boring and you just like want to look attractive now and you've sold out and I just feel like no I'm just like more comfortable with myself now and I don't feel the need to like make a spectacle or you know make a statement with what I wear or do something that really subverts people like I just want to kind of wear jeans and then have people focus on what I have to say instead but we were talking about saving stuff for yourself yeah so my diaries I don't know if this is a common experience but I think when you start writing a diary like part of you is still writing as if you're expecting someone to find it and it's really hard to get rid of that and I think just repetition helped me get rid of it And I felt it especially because, like, that was my experience with what I would share with the world from ages, like, 12 to 15. There's a Tilda Swinton interview where the guy's, like, and I've never been able to actually find it. I just know this because my friend overheard it at a restaurant, like, her giving the interview. And the guy was, like, so what do you do when you go back? Where does she live? Like, Scotland or something. Like, what do you do when you go back home? And you, like, turn off the Hollywood you. Like, is it a different person? Is it, like, what? And she was like, 
Well, I basically live on another planet, and on that planet, we don't think about things like this. We just live. And so I feel like, obviously, like, there are some- Are you saying I'm that guy in the restaurant? No, no, no. (laughs) I would never be that passive aggressive. I'm saying that, oh, God, no. (laughs) Ugh. I wasn't trying to, like, be a smartass, but I'm saying that- you know, I was just exaggerating it so that her response would seem even more, like, prophetic. I just mean that, I mean, I, I guess I understand, like, why my dad is like, why do you young people have to share things on the internet? But I also, in my own life, in the life of Tilda, Miley, George, feel like I'm me all the time. I don't really have, feel like I have a lot to hide. It seems like on Rookie, you're doing, uh, you know, like you've got your essay every month and, and you guys are, are doing every month on a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of what you're doing is interviews. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested in your like uh, your approach to those and, mm-hmm. and why you were, you'd rather do an interview than, you know, like write a profile of somebody. Right. Um, I think part of it is like, like I interviewed Lord for January and music writers and her fans alike were saying like this is the best lord interview and it was a really good interview probably because like she and i have like mutual respect she has been like started reading my blog when she was 12 so it was really easy for us to just connect but i think it's also that when i thought about all the profiles written about her or all the interviews done with her they were rarely run as just straight q a's like people they're all profiles because i think she's interesting and people are very eager to like give their perspective and i understand that sometimes the format is for it to be a profile and not a straight q a but um all we really did was let her speak for herself mm-hmm. and i think that's generally why i prefer doing a q a i mean it's probably also because i am like i don't really have time and i, yeah, I they don't are a little easier yeah they're easier and i don't feel super compelled to write like I feel I feel like I have enough to say for an intro but beyond that just want to run the thing straight yeah it's interesting like what you're talking about before in terms of like uh your presence in the magazine because I feel like Mm -hmm. what happens in those interviews is that this is me stating an opinion and trying to pass it off as a question but like uh what happens in those interviews is 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 you are quite a big part of them and Mm -hmm. they're really friendly Mm-hmm. They're like the tone of them is really friendly, which I think helps sort of like translate to the rest of the magazine. You sure. Know? How you sort of like define yourself and you define a publication like the having the editor of the magazine um, have these what feel like really intimate but really friendly conversations uh, goes a long way towards that. Yeah, I guess the thinking behind that is, well, a lot of the time, to be perfectly honest, we get the interview because I'm the poll, you know. And I also, I like an interview to be conversational. Like, this is a lot more fun for me than a straight, just, like, question-answer. And so, and I, you know, I think it helps the subject feel more comfortable. And even then, like, I I do end up editing out a lot of what I say because Mm -hmm. I think you can, like, make it conversational in the moment and then for the sake of the piece actually cut out a lot of the interviewer. Wait, that was actually, like, a bullshit leading interview question, though. Okay. um, I feel like in those interviews, you're often talking to people about uh, being famous. Like a lot of these questions I'm asking you, 
you are asking those people, right? Like, how mm-hmm. do you evolve in public? Right. What part of you is what the public sees? What part mm-hmm. of you is what you keep for yourself? Um, it seems like you're like kind of working some stuff out in those conversations. Hmm. I've never thought of that. And I probably wouldn't be capable of seeing it that way, like going from the inside to the outside. But I mean, I think that's partially because talking to someone like Lord or like I just interviewed Miley Cyrus for L. <laughs> cool. You know, growing up in public, I see it as kind of an exaggerated version of what a non-famous teenager or what one of our readers might go through. Because, like you said, when you're a teenager, you do define yourself so much by other people. And at least for me, um, like in middle school, it would feel so, even though it was just going to school, it would feel so much like me against the world and like blog stuff aside. So I guess... You know, like part of the reason you hate your home, you start to hate your hometown by senior year, if not earlier, is or your school or whatever, is just because you are so tired of being surrounded by like these former versions of yourself and these people who knew you when you liked that band and shopped at Hot Topic and stuff like that. So talking to someone like Miley Cyrus about that. Part of it is, you know, my own interest and my own probably projecting, but I also think it's something that we all deal with and then Miley or Lord just deal with it on an extreme scale. I have another question. I feel like I I have like a fiduciary duty to ask you this question on this podcast, which is like, um, what is your sort of like definition and understanding of journalism as you practice it? I've heard you've talked a lot about like publicly and not on this podcast about like sort of like um, the uh, positive values of like approaching things from a kind of like fangirl perspective, Mm -hmm. which I really relate to because this whole podcast is basically like me being Chris Farley. But um, (laughs) I'm interested in like in, in, in sort of how you think about what you're doing in terms of journalism. I, this was actually something I meant to say when you brought up my interviewing style, which is that I don't feel like a journalist and I don't consider myself one. Like, I think of myself as a writer, but even, like when I would like go to Fashion Week and write about it, I it always became more of like a personal essay or just kind of like I, I never felt like a critic. Maybe it's just hard for me to not have a bias. And I mean, is that how you think of what being a journalist would be, is not having a bias? I, yeah. I mean, I think there has to be some kind of distance from it, and I often struggle with having that. And so, I mean, not to the point that, like, you know, like when I interviewed Lord, I still asked her about people saying that Royals is racist. Like, I don't want to be irresponsible, but it's like every time I get a little too immersed in a certain bubble— whether it was like fashion or like sometimes I feel this way with acting or even like New York media, you know, music journalism or something. I feel really uncomfortable and limited and I find it much easier to think of myself as just like an alien who drops in on these different planets and is like, I'm coming in to interview Miley for L, but I'm not a journalist. <laughs> uh, bye. And maybe that's just like a way to not hold myself responsible. I don't know. Well, and I guess I'm really aware that when I do a piece, like when I interview someone for Rookie or even when I I interviewed Miley, like I'm part of it and I kind of know that the reader knows that. I I mean, I don't want it to be about me, 
but you don't have uh, an ambition to go and like hang out with Miley Cyrus for a week and write like a straight profile. No, I would have loved that actually. Actually, with her, it was easier for me to not have a bias because I went into it having read everything about like every major article on her since like 2006. Like when I came back from the trip, I was like, I wish I could just write a full thing. Like maybe I'll pitch to like 33 and a third. And then when it actually came to writing it, I was like, you know what? I actually don't fully know how I feel about all of this yet. So I'm fine with it being a straight Q&A. It was weird. That that was kind of recent. And it was one of the first it was maybe like one of the only times that I really writing something felt like a journalist because no part of me at that concert felt like I was like drinking the Kool-Aid or projecting my own personal dislike onto her. But if it was like, you know, Lord or Taylor Swift or Beyonce, like someone I really love and whose music has been important to me, it would have been a much different story. But I also feel like I don't have to be, you know, unbiased or whatever. Elle wouldn't ask me to write it if they didn't want it to be me. And like I started by saying like I was eight years old when Hannah Montana started. I was a senior in high school when she gave her VMAs performance. And that is instructive to the piece because everyone is so worried about how young women are like, uh, you know, internalizing all of the messages of Miley Cyrus and so I thought I would speak as a young woman. So you are uh, about to leave your hometown. You're about to yeah. get out of your hometown. You're going to graduate high school in June? May. May. Psyched? Yes. <laughs> are you going to like deliver the like uh, the speech at graduation? No, I'm not a great student. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I was until I started rookie. Yeah. It's, uh, your grades have suffered a little bit? Yeah. And I don't like to say that because I don't want people to be able to say like oh she should be in school instead but I also think like Julie Klausner in her interview with Julianne Moore Julianne Moore is saying that like these women came up to her in an airport and were like what do you eat like how do you you know stay thin do you diet and she's like I feel like I have a responsibility to tell them yeah I do have to watch what I eat because it's unfair to be like I'm able to eat a bunch of cheeseburgers and still look like this and I feel like it's a little unfair to be like you know I run rookie I do this and I get all A's (laughs) especially because so many of our readers just have like young creative person anxiety about like not doing enough is it hard to like I mean I guess you're what you're saying is like when you have to balance these things or manage them and if something has to fall out Mm -hmm. it's school It's hard because, and this was something that the year rookie started my sophomore year, I like went back and forth with a lot because school was like, I was always teacher's pet. Like in elementary school, if I didn't have my homework, I felt so guilty about it that I would just fake sick and stay home from school and like cry. Like I felt my dad taught at my high school. I was extremely like reading olympics advanced placement would like i was always you had something called reading olympics yeah it was great you had to read like x number of books and then do like a game show style Uh, thing on them that sounds awesome it was really great we made it to regionals (laughs) (laughs) so it was weird kind of giving that up and then it also at the same time there was just this is just kind of funny but at the same time i was also like ditching my like well-to-do theater friends and instead hanging out with like the kids who smoked behind the school and I was just like god I'm losing my mind (laughs) but it was like actually I was like running a magazine yeah um you were going home and managing a staff of 80 people right so it was definitely a thing that I went back and forth on 
And, you know, for my classes that I really, really love and feel really strongly about, like, I read all the books we read in English, even though I could spark note that, you know, because, like, that's something that I is really important to me. However, I'm also, like, I'm in a required keyboarding class. <laughs> I don't give it my all because it's keyboarding. You're slacking and, keyboarding. Yes, I am. I mean, something's <laughs> got to give. It's not always school. Like, if I have... An English paper due, it'll be like, well, I don't get back to these emails till tomorrow then. Like, sometimes I wish I could just focus on one thing and give it my all instead of feeling like I am only giving, like, 75% in a bunch of different areas. Except to keyboarding, which is only getting, like, 25%. No, yeah, keyboarding gets, like, 1%. Did you think at all about uh, quitting school? I definitely, in moments of extreme stress, probably, like, brought that up to my parents or, like, my school counselor. But I just also knew, like, that would just be stupid, like, quitting high school to run a website about teenagers. And while I have this, like, weird adult life, it just didn't make sense. And like I said, it was important for me to have these moments to myself and these experiences of, like, you know, seeing a band in the church basement and hanging out with my friends and all, and driving around, driving in cars with boys and stuff like that. and. So that was important to me, and I wanted those experiences, and I think part of the experience of high school is wanting to get out and kind of hating it, except when it for when it was extremely stressful, there was something kind of nice about that feeling, like, oh, I need to roam the halls because life is too much right now. Like, <laughs> there was just something, I don't know, it's all just, like, very bittersweet, and I appreciated that. So what happens now? Like, uh, if... If being in high school was really uh, helpful when running a magazine about teenage girls, how do you keep running a magazine for teenage girls when you're leaving high school? Despite uh, news reports, you might not be a teenage girl forever. Yeah, right. Uh, um, Like I said, a a lot of women do come up and say, like, oh, this is the stuff I still go through. And I'm also not like the sole voice of rookie i just kind of like art direct and give them all ideas for each theme and keep it going like i am just thinking about making something that's good you know Mm -hmm. and that our readers as much as i can know them from like comments and tumblr and our events something that they will like 17 year olds don't read 17 12 year olds do but rookie 17-year-olds read as well as 27-year-olds. And so I don't feel like our readers will, like, grow out of it. Mm -hmm. I think... But will you grow out of it? I don't think so. It's so important. I mean, but I've also, you know, there was also a time when I, like, couldn't conceive of ever not blogging. Like, well, once I graduate, like, I move here in August, and I do want to spend a lot of time working on it full-time with everyone in person, are you gonna take a? Are you gonna take a year? I'm off taking school? a year yeah. off. Yeah. And um, do you know where you're gonna go? Not yet. I find out this week. Do you have uh, like a favorite? Um, I I really am attracted to the Gallatin program at NYU. They've sponsored the podcast before NYU. Oh, really? So someone there may be listening. That's a good sign for them. Give me money. <laughs> um, but I think the goal eventually is for. Like I said, I'm aware that I'm a good pull for it to bring eyeballs to it, but I want it to stand on its own. I want it to have a life of its own. Some people ask if, like, 
the audience will become will shift to like 20 somethings once I'm a 20 something but like it is its own thing it's for teenagers that's been established like I wouldn't want to change that but um I mean I might oversee it from a greater distance because there are other things that I'm interested in pursuing it doesn't feel like growing out of it it feels like helping it grow you know what I mean like so what about for you I mean like you know you've said a couple of times that like you're age is a pull and that's part of the hook and like Mm -hmm. that's part of why it was a story it was part of why your blog got noticed and part of why people were writing New Yorker profiles or whatever like how's life and your work going to change for you when that's not the story a couple years from now it's going to be like this person who works in media and is in their early 20s yeah yeah that's not you know that's not as much of a no of course as much of a thing they won't be able to say like and she's only 16 they'll (laughs) just be like and she's and like you she's 30 (laughs) right (laughs) um you should see this sensible cardigan. <laughs> I don't know. I guess people will have to think of something else to write about. Like, I I feel confident in the direction as Rookie is going in. I feel confident about the stuff I'm doing outside of it. I And this is part of why, like, I, like, have a page in my journal that's like, you are going to college. You are going to get a formal education. You need, like, the foundation of knowledge that, you know, like, living in New York and doing all this cool other stuff will actually not give you because eventually, yeah, it, like, won't be interesting that I'm 25 and I want to be an actually, like, well-informed person. Not that I think you need a formal education to be smart, but, like, if that opportunity is at my disposal, I should take it. Do you see uh, yourself living a more public life or a less public life? Um... I don't know. This is like partially the George Saunders thing and partially Miley Cyrus, which when I interviewed her, she said... How can we get those two people in a room? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When I interviewed her, I was like, everything you you are experimenting with, like sex, drugs, totally normal for people your age, my age. But what did it ever occur to you? to do it in private like what does it mean for you for this to be part of your music and your public image and she was like um well there have been paparazzi outside my house since I was 14 so there's no public private for me I have never thought about it that way so for her she's just her all the time and although my you know level of publicness was never anything near that I have kind of like since the age of 12 or whatever kind of just felt like me all the time and so it feels somewhat irrelevant more public more like I don't know what it what it'll look like in the next few years but I don't know if all of that makes sense I think what you're saying is like uh, I'm okay yeah (laughs) you're okay you're okay except for you except for you (laughs) blondie yeah (laughs) Um, Tavi, thank you so much. Thank for, you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I had such a good time. Okay, the end. That was great. Thanks. I mean, thank you. Thanks for listening to Long Form. 
I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Evan Ratliff and Aaron Lemmer. Our editor is Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our intern, Sarah Button. Our guest this week was Tavi Gevinson. Tavi, thank you for taking some time out of your wild spring break to uh, come to Dubbo and do the podcast. Thanks also to our sponsors, Atavis Books. Go check their first offering. It's a new novella from Karen Russell. It's called Sleep Donation. It's great. Uh, and thanks, as always, to Tiny Letter. We'll be back next week. I'm a fool to do your dirty work. Oh, yeah. I don't want to do your dirty work no more. I'm a fool to do your dirty work. Oh, yeah.